We're going to show you what it's going to take for the new GM and Chrysler to get back on their feet. This is AutoLine. General Motors and Chrysler are out of bankruptcy, but they're not out of the woods, not by any stretch of the imagination. They both have an enormous amount of work to do to regain the trust of their customers and the American public. But what exactly do they have to do? Well, to get into the specifics, I've got three expert panelists joining me this morning to dive into the details on product, marketing, and sales. Michael Robinett is the Vice President of Global Vehicle Forecasts at CSM Worldwide. Christy Nordhelm is a professor of marketing at the University of Michigan, and Steve Finley is the editor of Ward's Dealer Business Magazine. If you'd like to get a better understanding of the challenges that GM and Chrysler face, don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutolineDetroit.tv. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion all right now about the new GM, the new Chrysler. Are they going to be able to make it? How are they going to be able to make it? And joining us this morning are Michael Robinett from CSM Worldwide, Steve Finley from Ward's Dealer Business, and Christy Nordhelm of Uni University of Michigan. Professor, I guess I should say, Christy Nordhelm. And you're also the author of a book too, Christy. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, it's a book on marketing. It's called Marketing Management, The Big Picture, which is a strategic and executional approach to marketing. Good. Well, we'll have to use some of that expertise to get into our topic. But Michael, let me start with you. We see the new GM out there. What's your opinion? Can they make it or what kind of adjustments do you think they're going to have to make to compared to the way they used to be running the company? Uh, there's still a lot of heavy lifting to do. I mean, they, they've set the structure, but I think they're going to have to populate the company with some new blood. Um, the old blood at General Motors obviously showed that it wasn't going to be able to get it done. They're going to have to bring in some newer people with some new ideas. They're obviously going to have to flatten the organization. I think the most, most interesting thing that was announced was the fact that Nick Riley, who's running International based out of Shanghai. That tells me that this company is especially focused on Asia and that is going to be a core market for them in the future. Right North America, but make your money in Asia. And when you say bring in fresh blood, fresh blood from the industry or from out of the industry? Uh, hopefully, some, maybe some people from the industry, but hopefully from, from outside the industry. Uh, you know, who's to say that the automotive industry is cloistered in a sense that we only know the right way to do it? I think there's some good ideas from outside that really could, could benefit a General Motors. Well, Alan Mulally has proven that. Yeah. Everybody was a little edgy about this outsider coming in, and he's done very well for Ford. He has, but we've seen a lot of other outsiders come into this business over the years, and I can't think of any of them who survived. Yeah, I'm thinking back a good one would be like Ron Zarella. Right. Uh, not a good idea. Right. Um, so you're, you're right, you have to be careful, but I think if there's ever a time to bring in some new blood with some new ideas, because GM has got its last gasp. I, th I don't think- Last could, chance. I think we could, anybody could ever go back to administration and say, we need another $20 billion. We didn't get it right last time. This is it. Um, so they had better get it right this time because the last chances are finished. And Steve, from a dealer standpoint, now they've gone from seven or eight brands, depending on what you're counting, down to four. 
they're, they're slashing the number of models and slashing the number of dealers. Can the dealers that are left, especially the, the Buick GMC ones, can they make it? Well, I hope so. Uh, what worries me and a lot of other people in the industry is they're slashing too much. They're going from one extreme to the other. Uh, look, everybody agrees there's too many dealers. You can't have uh, same brand dealers in the same market undercutting each other to death. That doesn't help the dealers. It doesn't help the manufacturers. It presumably helps the consumer because the transactional prices go down. But uh, to take the other extreme and just slash the way they have opposed to a strategic approach is uh, a little baffling for me. I do not see how you uh, build your sales network up by tearing it down. I don't see how you increase sales by subtracting sales outlets. It's uh, addition by subtraction, apparently, and there's a lot of people who are confounded by it. Chevy and Cadillac, I'm not so worried about their dealer network, but I wonder, will the Pontiac GMC one survive when you take that Pontiac volume out of it, the Buick uh, GMC Pontiac ones. Uh, Buick's what, 30% of their volume or something like that? Something like that, and I just read a, a statistic uh, today that said that Buick intenders people, or I mean, uh, pardon me, people that are interested in Pontiac, 38% of them are now looking at Ford, 33% at another GM product. So. You know, the idea that, okay, we'll just take this brand out and they'll go to another GM brand, or we'll take this GM dealer or Chrysler dealer out and they'll go to another GM or Chrysler dealer, even though that's farther away and it's more difficult and less convenient to buy that from that person. These are grand assumptions, and, you know, there's one thing worse than too many dealers, it's too few dealers. Christy. Marketing. To me, that's GM's actually biggest challenge. I don't think it's, you know, the, the product or the manufacturing or all that sort of stuff, finance yet, because you have to have the money to do all this stuff. Marketing, what does GM have to do to really get this changed? Uh, they have their work cut out for them. And I think the focus with GM, even vis-a-vis -vis marketing, has been on the product. And it's not about the product, it's about the brand. Explain the, product, the difference. What do you mean by okay, that? Well, the product is just a way that you deliver the brand value. And that classic phrase, you are your car, that drives auto sales. People buy cars not because specifically of the product, but because of how, what the product says about them. A car is a house that you carry around with yourself. It's your second biggest investment, and it says the most about you, and it says more about you than your home because you're in front of you know, hundreds of people a day with your car. So the, the brand is what matters, not the product. How would you differentiate the way that GM's doing it then of not selling the product? I, I, I imagine you're talking about specific attributes, so it has this kind of an engine or gets this kind exactly. of fuel economy. Exactly. Well, features or... and also just saying, for example, uh, claiming that our product quality is better and, and, and saying, you know, we're just as good as Toyota, we're just as reliable. Uh, that's not what people care about. They want to know what the car is going to say about themselves. What does the BMW say about me? What does the Toyota say about me? What does the Hyundai say about me? Right? And then what does the GM say about me? You know, up to a certain point, uh, the GM vehicles, many of them have said, I'm an American. Right? And now, what does it say? I'm owned by the government. Right? That's a very different thing to say. And for the people that are core, core GM uh, buyers, particularly Chevy buyers, right, that's not what they want to say about themselves. Well, you certainly can't say I'm just as good as Toyota or Honda because people <laughs> will say, well, why don't I buy a Toyota or a Honda? Absolutely. But what did GM do wrong with their first grand experiment with brand management? You know, you mentioned Ronzarella. Sure. That was supposed to be the era where GM was really going to brand the heck out of their vehicles 
and it never seemed to gain any traction. Yeah. What happened? Well, the branding, again, branding is not an overlay. Branding comes from a core competence, right? A, a core differentiation. So if you're just taking a bunch of products that look kind of similar, aren't differentiated from, uh, from, from other products or from themselves, from each other, and then you just slap a brand on top of it, that is not true branding, right? Branding comes from a, a core competence, a core differentiation, and then you lay the brand on top of it, right? So it's not window dressing, and I, I, I don't mean to say that at all, right? And the product, when I say it's not about the product, I mean that the product is the, the root of the tree, right? And the brand has to lay on some solid foundation there. And what was missing, I think, in that grand experiment was this, this notion that we can just kind of slap different names on, on different, on kind of the same vehicle or very similar vehicles and call that branding. That is not branding. You know, I wonder what's going on with Chrysler. Uh, I was watching the, uh, the bicycle race, the Tour de France, and they had uh, a message that said, this uh, half hour of uh, commercial-free uh, viewing is brought to you by Chrysler. And I'm thinking of any company out there that has got to get their message out and should not be doing commercial-free ad buys, it's Chrysler. I mean, well, <laughs> yeah, br brought to you, brought to you by is still is still advertising. It's just a different type of advertising, right? So they're still they're still maintaining top of mind awareness, which, frankly, at this point in time, I, I'm not sure I would want to be maintaining top of mind awareness because when you think GM right now, most of the thoughts that come after are not such positive thoughts, right? Well, that's the, one of the things that we've been discussing on the show for a number of weeks now. Isn't GM making a mistake advertising GM? as opposed to the brands that it has. Well, absolutely. And, and again, um, uh, when you say, when you invoke the word GM right now, no matter what you say in your paid promotional announcement, right, what people are thinking is counter-argument, right? It's negative, right? So um, one of the worst ways to deliver that, hey, everything is going to be okay message is through paid uh, promotional announcements, right? Pro product placements work pretty well. Um, sponsorships work pretty well. But anytime you're saying it straight out with a commercial, it's a bad idea. I, I just heard somebody say, it's not what you say. It's not even how you say it. It's what they hear. <laughs> well, absolutely. And what, what they remember and what it makes them think about, right? And this sure. counter-argument is the, is the biggest danger right now. We're sorry. We're sorry. We fixed it. We fixed it. What does that generate in your brain? It, it, you, you messed up. You messed up. Why, why could you have fixed it now? Maybe you didn't fix it, et cetera, et cetera. So. Michael, do they have the product going forward to really get this company on the track it's got to be on? They've got, they've got the, the makings of some strong product, but I think going back to what was said earlier, GM's bigger problem in the past was we're going to try and gain volume by just adding more nameplates, and we'll get all the volume by adding more nameplates, but now they're down to four divisions. So now each vehicle is going to have to stand on its own, and they can't do what they're thinking about doing with the Pontiac G8 and say, well, we'll just badge it as a Chevy. You lose, you lose the whole brand awareness of... This was uh, aggressively styled, uh, more sporty, and now I'm gonna put a Chevy badge on it. Oh, I should sell the same number of vehicles. I don't think so. You, they're gonna have to focus on more volume per nameplate, much like the Japanese do. The Accords uh, and the Civics and the Camrys and the Corollas, uh, they pull the freight because they have high volume per nameplate. GM didn't think like that. They have to move forward in that tone. But let's go back to the G8 or the, the Holden Caprice sure. as it's sold. Yeah. It's sold as a Chevy in other places of the world. Uh, nobody in that segment, certainly in the Chevrolet price class, has got a big rear-drive sedan. I mean, wouldn't it make sense to put that in your lineup? Uh, you'd better differentiate the styling and leave a little bit of a gap between the vehicles you see on the road right now and then come out a little bit later with this vehicle. Just don't absolutely put it in a Chevy showroom and say, oh, by the way, it's showing up differently as a Chevy. I just don't think that that is very strong. It really helps the brand, to tell you the truth. I mean, you've got to provide some true differentiation. What are you seeing to all the people that buy your Pontiacs before? 
And you had talked earlier about uh, Pontiac GMC um, as well as uh, Buick. The problem is they've got a gap issue. Pontiac's pulling a lot of load. You lose Pontiac, and basically Buick's got three vehicles right now, and GMC's got a bunch of trucks and one crossover utility. That is not a that is not a dealer network. That is a problem for them, and Pontiac's going away more quickly than I even think GM wanted. Well, and that was the whole idea of the Pontiac uh, GMC Buick bundling, is that you, with the three combined, had this full line of vehicles, and you take one of the brands out, and you don't have that anymore. But I think the good news for for General Motors in terms of product is they have demonstrated they can yeah. build a really good vehicle. They've done it with the Cadillac CTS, they've done it with the Malibu, the Camaro is a, is a hit. There's an old saying, you know, in Hollywood that there's nothing wrong with Hollywood that a few good hit movies can't solve. Well, the same is true of Detroit. There's nothing wrong with Detroit that a few good vehicles can't solve. Now, you have to have, you know, more than one or two. It's got to be a consistent thing, but GM is on a roll, I think, uh, with their vehicles opposed to where they were, you know, a few short years ago. From a product side, I think, John, one of the factors important is the reason why this Opal situation is so tremendously important to GM is not so much the volume that Europe or Europe and Russia with respect to Opal really brought to General Motors. It was really more the fact of the control of the Global Epsilon and Global Delta platform. And, and this Explain what uh, Epsilon uh, and these Delta. These are basically that would what be we the call Malibu. Malibu-sized vehicles as well as the new Chevy Cruze or, or uh, Cavalier-sized vehicles. Which are designed, engineered, developed in Europe For by the most Opel. part, they do all the primary design. All the heavy lifting was done in Rüsselsheim, Germany, and then some of the lighter lifting was done in Warren, Michigan. But if you lose control of those platforms, that is going to haul the freight for GM going forward in terms of meeting CAFE, the new emission standards, and really gaining better profitability or some profitability. Without the control of those platforms, that is a tremendous hole in their lineup. Uh, do, you I, see I, any, do you see anything product-wise on a bright note for uh, Chrysler? Uh, no, and this is probably one of the reasons why you're seeing Chrysler really go underground a little bit, um, it, despite what you were saying earlier, but really going underground at least for the next couple of months because, frankly, they don't have much to say. So if you don't have a lot to say, you may as well go underground, clean up some of the things you can clean up, and they've got at least two years of not a lot of product that customers are really looking for these days. And, and I want to come back to the Chrysler thing, but I wanted to ask Christy, would you bring Pontiac back if you were GM once you pay off all the government loans and all that? And the reason I ask is, why not have a performance brand? Not a full line brand like Pontiac is now, which I think has been its downfall because they're still trying to be too much to too many different buyers. Mm -hmm. Why not just come out and say, boom, here's our performance brand? Well, I think it's very interesting how much of our time when we talk about Detroit is spent talking about products and brands instead of consumers, right? And the question, the answer to your question, the answer to many of these questions is not, should we have this product or that product, but rather, who are the consumers out there and what is it that they're looking for and can we consistently deliver to them, right? The number one number to me is not profit per vehicle or how, many, how much volume they can pull on one brand or another, but rather, what is the lifetime value of a GM, Chevy, Pontiac customer and what could it be, right? So if we can use Pontiac, leverage the Pontiac brand name to bring in a slightly younger customer who will stick with that brand for a period of time, then I think we'll have something, right? So what about this idea, though, of having this, this step 
ladder of brands where you start out at Chevy and then you make a little bit more money and step up the ladder. D d does that hold anymore? Well, I tell you, uh, I think what's happening now is you're not stepping up across brands, you're stepping up within brands. So you come in with your, if, how much money do I have? I'm going to buy my three series BMW. Oh, now I've got a little bit more money. I'm going to buy the five series. And I'm having midlife, or having kids and I can have my X5 and then I'm having midlife crisis and I'm going to go get a Z4, right? So, um, but you stay within the BMW family or within the Toyota family, which is a very strong, obviously they have sub-brands, but it's a very, very strong umbrella. So um, this notion of being able to cross across brands really fights a little bit with this notion of uh, you are your car. What are you? Are you a Chevy? Are you a Pontiac? You know, which, which, which brand are you? If you're a BMW, you're a BMW. So let's go back to the Chrysler thing, uh, part of the discussion then, Steve. They torched so many of their dealers. There's just a, a lot of bad blood right there. Everybody I've talked to, even the, the dealers who lost their franchise, agree that there has to be fewer dealers. They just felt that they didn't like the way it was done, just had the rug pulled out from under them. But is the Chrysler dealership network that's left strong enough to get this company where it needs to be? Uh, that's a good question, and I'm not sure. Uh, you know, again, if you're making it difficult for people to buy cars, if you're making it more expensive for people to buy cars, if they got to travel farther, you know, the idea that they're going to pass by the closed Chrysler dealership to get to the next nearest uh, Chrysler dealership is uh, wishful thinking at best. Um, and what bothers me, and I, I'm not against dealership closures if the dealership is not doing a good job. And that has been presented by GM and Chrysler as the reason for closing dealerships. This is dead wood we're getting rid of. These you know, guys, guys are underperforming. We don't need them. More and more, I'm seeing evidence and talking to dealers who are great dealers who have got cut for various reasons other than performance. And so you wonder, what is going on? You know, why are they cutting some of their best people? Because Wall Street essentially, it's a Wall Street-driven thing, has said, well, you've got to cut all force. these dealers. I, I think the automatic, uh, automotive task force pulled a number out of its hat and said, here, just, just ax this number of dealers. I well, think the magic number was actually anywhere between 30 and 40%. You had 30-40% head cut, 30-40% capacity cut, and oh, by the way, you probably need at least 30 to 40% less dealers. And I, frankly, I think that's the number they started with for a lot of different areas of the company. And where do they pull that number from exactly? Which part of their body, right? I mean, this is uh, when, you're, when you're making cuts like this, you have to ask yourself, you know, are you cutting to the bone? And, and, the, and then the question is, what is the bone, right? When you're thinking about uh, locations of dealers, what you have to ask yourself is how far is a customer willing to travel? And what determines that? Well, it's the value of the vehicle, right? If it's a high value vehicle, people travel uh, long distances to get to a Mini Cooper dealer because they're so obsessed with that car, right? So if we can get people to, to value the, the, the product again, then you don't talk about underperforming dealers, right? Because the product's great, and then the dealer, what they have to do is provide the service that they need, right? So, so that's the issue, is the value of the product. And, and let's talk about the value of the product. Uh, Two vehicles that Chrysler does have coming is a redesign of the Grand Cherokee and a redesign of the Chrysler 300, both volume vehicles for Chrysler. And at first, I kind of dismissed them when I saw the first photos of saying, oh, they're, they're just refreshes. But look at what Ford did with the refresh of the Fusion. Oh, my God, yeah, you know, right. boy, did they nail it. And they, you know, the, the thing's flying off the lots right now. When are the new Grand Cherokee and 300 coming? And in your opinion, can they do what Ford did with the Fusion? Well, one of the problems that we ran into, or we, the industry has run into, is, is with this bankruptcy, all vehicle development essentially stopped. I mean, there was virtually nothing going on over at Auburn Hills. Uh, so therefore, they've actually had to extend 
the, the, the life cycle of the existing vehicle, and we're probably looking at the early part of next year, early part of 2010, before we're gonna see any Grand Cherokees on the road. And then towards the middle and the end of the year, for the 300C and the Charger. But we're replacing vehicles. We are, uh, and I agree with you on the Fusion. I think with the Fusion, Ford uh, had a checklist of all the problems and ticked all the boxes. And people went in and said, well, you ticked all the boxes. I actually really like this vehicle now. You can't really say too much negative about the Grand Cherokee, but the problem is, is, that, is that that's a very, very crowded segment. And, 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 and if fuel prices are gonna to start to rise, they're not rising right now, but they eventually will, and that's in the back of consumers' minds. Am I really gonna to wanna to buy a brand new Grand Cherokee? And what can I get from that Grand Cherokee that I couldn't get from Honda or Toyota or Nissan or even GM or Ford or somebody else? And this is the problem that we think is, is the big issue. Obviously, they're replacing the wrong product at the wrong time, but this is a long life cycle industry. You just, you can't make these decisions um, very quickly. No, I, I agree with you, but I'll, I'll just say uh, recently, in the last two weeks, I got a chance to really go around the new Grand Cherokee, and I was wowed. You know, what I sort of dismissed by seeing a photo didn't really pick up the, the, the finesse that's gone into that design. It, it, I, I swear, this thing looks like it's $10,000 more expensive than what what's it's been, just it, from a design standpoint. I agree, I think what's one thing about the Fusion that really improved, fuel economy. And this is, what, this is gonna continue to be Chrysler's downfall until they get better technology in, in the front, front of the vehicle in terms of the powertrain. Until they fix that, they're gonna still have substantial issues in terms of the value equation as well. So Christy, marketing is gonna be absolutely critical then. If you're stuck with the same product line for the next two years out, more or less, what do you do? Oh, don't throw it on us marketers now. <laughs> Nothing can put a company out of business faster than great marketing laid over a bad product, right? It has to go in order. You have to fix the product first. You have to fix it, get the dealer network, get, get the support there, and then you follow with marketing. It does not work the other direction. Absolutely not. And I think we saw this with Ford. I think they went through and fixed the product, and then they started laying on marketing, and that's the only way to do it. There's no other way to do it. <clears throat> well, and that brings me to, to a question really for, for you guys, which what I always look for in a winning company is, is a, a core competence, something that they're particularly good at, right? And that's the question that I always ask myself when I think about GM. What is it that they're great at? What is their skill that leads to their sustainable competitive advantage? Uh, I will say that GM is still probably one of the premier companies in the world in terms of power taming. The right engine and the right transmission, they still have very, very good technology in the powertrain. I would also say that they were pretty good integrators of vehicles, so the electronic integration, and you take a look at a new Malibu and the way that that vehicle really talks with, within itself and communicates is actually quite good. Um, there's been some products that have really fallen down that frankly have really brought the entire brand down. I'm thinking of vehicles like the current Cavalier, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's not the world's greatest product. Cruise is going to have one heck of a time. Wait, you said Cavalier. Cavalier is out of production. Well, of course, I'm thinking about the current C car. But basically, you know, when they move to the when they move to the cruise, replacing the Cobalt, they're gonna that's going to have to have a substantial step up forward. I think they need to rethink the Impala. But you know, it, it may be a low volume car. Uh, the Corvette is an example of what GM can do. Sure. You know, in, in a representation of its brain trust, and there's still is a huge brain trust there. Here you have this incredible vehicle, beautiful vehicle, great performing vehicle. If you were to, uh, it's comparable to the to cars that run in the six figure. If you were to buy a European uh, similar model, so you know they can do things right when they put their mind to it. They That's can, the good but news. Did, but we didn't answer Christie's question, which was, what is their core competence? Michael got to it, but we're running out of time for our broadcast segment. We're going to leave these cameras rolling. We're just getting on a roll here ourselves, so you can join us on the internet. 
for more of this conversation. But for now, thanks for tuning in. I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutolineDetroit.tv. As I mentioned, we're going to run the cameras and continue the conversation about what it's going to take for GM and Chrysler to get back on their feet. You can catch that right now at our website, AutolineDetroit.tv. And if you need more than a weekly dose of industry information, check out AutolineDaily.com. It's a six-minute daily webcast of what's going on in the global automotive industry. Then on Thursday nights at 7 p.m., it's time for AutoLine After Hours, the first live webcast dedicated to the automotive industry. Join me and Peter DeLorenzo, the publisher of AutoExtremist.com, for the most unlikely show about the auto industry. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.